Welcome to our special seven questions edition of How to Win a Campaign. I'm Martin Diego Garcia, and you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter and at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. In this series, we're talking to some of our favorite authors, content creators, and influencers, and you can find the seven questions that inspired this conversation at thecampaignworkshop.com or in the show notes. Today's guest is Kim Rogers. Kim is the executive director at the Democratic Association for Secretaries of State, also known as DAS, where she focuses a lot of her attention on electoral politics. DAS is committed to electing and protecting Democratic secretaries of state. And Kim, along with the DAS staff, recognize the critical role that secretaries of state play in ensuring the access to voting despite efforts to restrict it and ultimately in protecting American democracy by protecting the sanctity of the vote. Kim, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Martine. And thank you for the work that you and your team are doing, because secretaries of state are often not the sort of glamorous governor's races or presidential races, but they are super critically important. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We think they're glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But to give our listeners a little bit of context, what is so valuable about a secretary of state position and how does it relate to election security? Well, I think one of the reasons you're hearing so much about it is that in several states, secretaries of state are also the chief elections officers. And while it varies kind of state to state and they have slightly different roles in the portfolio, depending on the state, it's really those who oversee elections that have been targeted by extremists since 2020. As I like to say, I don't think that Trump is endorsing in these races because of notary services or business licensing. <laughs> and, you know, and since 2020, we saw an unprecedented effort from Trump and his allies to overturn the will of voters, kind of the start of that big lie. But Democratic secretaries were on the forefront of rejecting those conspiracy theories, standing up to Trump and others would be election deniers, and frankly, putting voters first whether those were Republican, Democratic, or independent voters. Our secretaries believe that voters should decide, and that's exactly what they stood up and did in 2020. Can you talk to us a little bit about how many races are you all watching? What does this sort of breakdown look like for this year? Yeah, there are 27 races on the ballot in 2022. Normally, that'd be 26, but we do have a special election in Washington to complete the term for our new incumbent, Secretary Steve Hobbs, who was appointed to finish out the term of Secretary Wyman, who went to the Biden administration to Homeland Security to work on some cybersecurity issues for the Biden administration. And of those races, and I think this is a really important piece that I think is overlooked, there are over 23 election deniers running for Secretary of State in 19 of those 27 states. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. To let that set in for a minute. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the other side knows how important these secretaries of state races are. And they're doing everything they can to get Trump loyalists, conspiracy theorists, election deniers elected. Trump said the quiet part out loud when he was talking to the Pennsylvania GOP and said, sometime the vote counter is more important than the candidate. And that's the reason they're really leaning into this. I think some of them are talking about relitigating 2020, but it's really about being able to undermine our elections in the future as we go forward. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think in what you're saying, right, like he realized what was happening and people around him said, well, here are the folks who are, who can determine that and they went in hard. And not only in the electoral front, but in the legislative front, can you talk a little bit about the overwhelming sort of number of bills that have been introduced to restrict voting rights? And has that sort of played a part in the way that you all are strategically looking at this from the electoral side? Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, we saw more than 500 bills in 2021 to suppress voters and undermine the power, stripping power of elections officials. More than 30 voter suppression and election sabotage bills were enacted into law with more than 500 additional bills still under consideration in 2022 legislative session. They want to interfere with election administration. And there have been more election interference bills considered within from January to April of this year than all of 2021. But I will say secretaries have been taking action. We continue to expand early in person and absentee voting, expanding access to ballot boxes and drop boxes, implementing online automatic and same day voter registration and push back against these voter suppression efforts in their respective states. And not just that, several of our democratic secretaries are offering proactive solutions because the federal voting rights bill stalled, they have been pushing at the state level to protect election workers, to enshrine some of this additional access into state laws, and some safety as simple as removing guns from polling places, particularly in this heated environment. That to me feels like the part that my my mind still can't wrap my brain around. Can you talk a little bit more about like some of the ongoing sort of devastating effects from these election deniers and the big lie, and maybe particularly if it is limiting access to any particular types of communities who are already marginalized or disenfranchised from the electoral process? Yeah, well, I mean, I think first and foremost, the rhetoric is really dangerous. It is part of a coordinated attack to continue to undermine democracy, to create others and like a me versus them or us versus them mentality in our political system. And it's actually causing threats of physical violence to election workers. So I think we need to acknowledge there is a physical danger and then there is an existential danger to our democracy here. It's been incredibly damaging. Marginalized communities are already impacted disproportionately by disinformation and suppression tactics. And as we mentioned before, these same communities are being targeted by bad faith legislation based on those conspiracy theories to further restrict access. And when these theories from election deniers are pushed, it's their attempt at gatekeeping our elections, deciding who gets to vote rather than how you vote, and intimidating voters who aren't on their side. This isn't just about relitigating 2020. This is picking and choosing winners in future elections and determining which voters get a say instead of whether voters get a say. Absolutely. For those of us who are trying to fight that rhetoric or figure out ways in which to counter it, have there been ways in which you all have successfully done that? Or what strategies are you all implementing? Yeah. I mean, I think for DAS, the answer is simple. We choose truth over lies and we choose voters over preordained outcomes. Our secretaries have demonstrated competency and respect for the rule of law. And I think that experience is really important as extremists attempt to erode trust. 
most people think that their state and local elections are safe. Most people trust their local elections officials and think that the problems are elsewhere. So we need to continue to introduce these secretaries and their records to voters. They are trusted messengers and we should continue to have them speak directly to voters. We should look to them to, to talk about what the voting process looks like. And it's, it's educating voters, it's educating the media, and it's us as activists taking the opportunity to engage directly. I always encourage people to participate in the process. There are organizations like Power the Polls that recruit poll workers across the country. And then we see a representation of voters like us working the polls or even just getting a group of friends or family together and going to vote together, like bringing that engagement, bringing more people into the process and doing it firsthand. That's how we talk to our friends and families and rebuild faith in the process. Absolutely right. We can all play our part, even in the littlest of ways of just talking to your friends and family, <laughs> making sure they know what's actually happening, right? And if you really want to get involved, absolutely, there's organizations or you can become a poll worker. I mean, all of these things are critically important to continuing to fight to protect access to the ballot for all of us. Yeah. And providing information from official sources, right? Pointing people to their Secretary of State's website, pointing people to their local clerk's office and saying, this is actually the correct information because these are the people who oversee your elections. You can tune out some of the other noise and listen to the folks who run the elections right here in your town. So we talked a little bit about sort of the narrative that is hurting us at the moment. Are there other challenges that you all are facing or that your candidates are facing, particularly as they go into this year's elections? Secretaries of state races have always been incredibly consequential, but historically have been a little bit more under the radar, getting less coverage from media, getting a less attention. I mean, the fact that we're, we're talking right now is is an incredible sign. That has changed. And secretaries of state are far better known than they used to be because of being thrust into the spotlight during 2020. There's still a long way to go before the public's fully aware of what's going on. And I think one of the biggest challenges is how noisy this midterm environment is. In many states where we're looking to have Secretary of State races, there are Senate races, there are gubernatorial races. Several organizations have already reserved hundreds of millions of dollars on TV for the fall. So we've got a breakthrough about the importance of a down-ballot race. It'll be crucial to keep emphasizing the stakes of the race, the fight for democracy really is in the states. And so to be competitive, we need to be sure we have the resources to cut through that noise, to introduce our secretaries and candidates to voters. And then I think we need to have all of our activists and voters turn out and vote all the way down the ballot. Agreed. Can you talk a little bit about how you all think of building the bench for these secretary of states, which are statewide races, but where do these candidates come from? And if somebody was interested in being like, hmm, I'm interested in running for secretary of state, where could they potentially start off a political career? Call us. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I think that's the great thing about secretaries of state. There are several different backgrounds. You know, there are some attorneys, there are some who started out in local elections offices. There are some who started out in the state legislature. But I think the the through line there is a commitment to democracy, a commitment to the truth, and the want to just do the job well and ensure that voters have access. And I, I think that's really the through line. And 
Some people haven't been in office, didn't run for lower office before they became secretary of state. There are multiple paths available. And I think that's a really important part is that there is no one right answer for what it takes to be secretary of state. As long as you want to, you know, stand up for the voters and do the job to protect democracy. Yeah, definitely. So on brighter notes, are, are there any particular sort of favorite accomplishments that you have had since you have been at DAS? Honestly, by far and away, the team that we're building, historically, DAS has not had full-time staff, but we really wanted to meet the moment that we were in. So we're building the infrastructure to support secretaries and candidates, having campaign services. That team has allowed us to move the needle on these races, both in earned media, but also just direct candidate support and training and really leaning in and helping campaign managers and candidates think through what their strategy is at the state level and building together a path to victory. I think that's really exciting to have that level of support available for candidates. And I think that team is also one of the reasons we are talking right now. People are paying attention to these races in a way that they haven't, and that's exciting. And it's not just our team, like organizations across the spectrum who have never played at this level now want to work together to win these crucial races. And I think that kind of collaboration is new and shows the interest around the races and something that like collectively we should all be really excited and proud of. That's really fantastic here because I mean, a lot of states, right, mine included out here in California, right, like we've moved to mail-in balloting. Everybody gets a ballot and everybody has that access where you don't have to go to the polls, right? There, You can skip the voter intimidation that may be happening at the polls by voting by mail. And a lot of states are following suit. How has either having Democratic secretaries of state in those positions helped that fight to get more access to the ballot is con- currently helping that fight? Or what impacts have mail-in ballotings have had in some of these states? More than anything, it's safe. During a pandemic, people didn't have to wait in lines. People didn't have to be in crowds. People were able to get their ballots at home, take some time and reflect on that. And secretaries of state led that fight where they could, they sent ballots where they couldn't, they sent application forms. So people knew it was an option. And I think the biggest thing, and you're going to just, you're going to hear me say this over and over again, mail-in voting means more people have access to voting. It means that if your shift goes long, if you have to work a double, if you have to pick your kids up from school, you're not limited to those 12 hours that the polls open in your state. It means that people can have time to be reflective and think about what's on the ballot. And and really, our goal is that every eligible American deserves secure, fair access to voting, regardless of zip code. And... I think that mail-in voting allowed for the safest and most secure election in American history in 2020. And so our secretaries know that making voting more accessible bolsters democracy overall. And I feel like this is one of those things that has shifted in the wake of 2020. But if you look at Arizona that has the permanent early vote list, which is ultimately vote by mail, it is been used by Republicans and Democrats alike for years, as has it in Utah. This isn't a partisan issue. This is an access issue. And I think that people understood how easy it was when they were able to do it in 2020. And people want to continue to have that access. 
and for me even when i get my my ballot and i have a month to get it back it allows me time to be like who's running for secretary of state and let me do some like <laughs> information gathering so i feel like i'm making an informed decision right because top of the ticket you know who's on there some of these smaller races i'm like i have no idea right <laughs> and it gives you that that ability to also on the voter side to to feel like you're making an informed decision exactly and you're not hurried by all of the other environment that could be happening on election day like life gets in the way of life and I think we have to acknowledge that not everybody has time in their day to, to wait in line or to even run across town and find the right voting center. And I think, again, it's, it comes down to access and participation. Agreed. Mm -hmm. If our listeners are interested in getting involved with DAS and or helping to protect voting rights, what are some ways that they can do that? We have a website. You should go there and sign up. It's demsofstate.org. D-E-M-S-O-F-S-T-A-T-E dot org. You can sign up to get on our email list. We will have volunteer opportunities available as the fall goes on. Follow us on social media. We're at Dems of State on Twitter. And lift up secretaries of state. Lift up your candidates. Like Find out who's running in your state if you need to. Again, reach out to us and we will let you know who the candidates in your state are. But I think we talked about it when it came to getting involved. Talk to your friends and family. Start with the, with the low lifts and go from there. But people listening to this podcast obviously care about politics and you are leaders in your community. So I think understanding the importance of this race in terms of certifying elections, in terms of preserving our democracy secretaries really are the the last lines of defense in a lot of these states. And I know that uh, some folks will say, hey, this is a tough midterm. There isn't as much split ticket voting as there used to be. But we have seen secretaries win in places where their gubernatorial candidates haven't won as recently as you know 2018. We've seen secretaries lose by very narrow margins because of drop-off voters. So we need to convince all of our friends and family to vote all the way down ballot to preserve our democracy. And we need uh, the resources to communicate so folks know who these candidates are. We will have volunteer opportunities available on that website too, because we all have a role in protecting our democracy. That we do. That we definitely do. So please, please, please get involved if you can, or um, if you have interest in, in Democratic Secretaries of State. Kim, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to you and your team for the amazing work and the continued fight you are doing on behalf of the rest of us to ensure that we do have continued access to the ballot. Well, Martine, we appreciate you lifting us up today and, you know, look forward to getting you all on, signed up for volunteer shifts in the fall. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. For more information on this topic, please check out our blog at thecampaignworkshop.com. We will also have the website to DAS in the show notes. If you want to hear more of these, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm Martin Diego Garcia, breaking down how to win a campaign. How to Win a Campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, Dina Castillo, Amanda Ellis, Porobi Saha, and Anna Cruxen. Music by Danielle Pinto. Sound editing by The Sound Sanagoma. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast.